welcome to the Thinker Nick podcast. The podcast where we interview ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Our goal is to share stories and ideas about how thinking differently can shape a better future for all. Welcome to the first episode of the Thinker Nick podcast. Today I am joined by my co-host Nicola Tyler. How are you today? I am very well, thank you, Nicholas. That's good. And I'm very excited about today's episode as I have one of my very good friends on and he is the founder of his own brand, Mr. Dan Rogers. How are you doing today? Awesome, Nick. Thank you for having me and uh, honored to be the first guest on your podcast. Very cool. Very cool. So uh, just to give you guys a bit of background. Me and Dan went to school together for five years and we became very good friends at school. And ever since then, we've stayed in touch. I'm currently in Vietnam and he's still in South Africa. And this is why we decided to have him on the podcast because he is really good at what he does. So Dan, would you like to give us a little bit of a background about what you do, where you are at the moment? Yeah, awesome. So as, as Nick said, we met at school at, in fact, boarding school in South Africa. And what I do at, at this time is work online. I actually run an e-commerce brand, and then I teach others different business strategies, whether that's uh, e-commerce or investing. That's my what I actually do day to day. I'm currently still in SA, but I moved between UK and SA. Uh, UK is primarily where I'm based, but obviously the world is a little bit different currently, so it's made it a bit difficult to just, you know, travel. So I decided to stay here at least until my brother's wedding uh, next year, and then early next year I should go back. But yeah, that's a bit of background, what I do, where I am. Awesome, awesome. So a lot of what you do revolves around online businesses, which people closely align with money. But what's your view on money and why do you do what you do? For sure. I think that's a a really cool question because for me, it's not really actually about the money, but more about choice. You know, a lot of people today kind of objectify the money side of things. And there's quite a lot of also like negativity around that space or can be. And for me, it's more just about choice. So not like, you know, the having a huge number in your bank account or the Lamborghini in the background, but more just choice. Like say you want to go snowboard for three weeks just like being able to do that you know and today if you look at most people's stress or like inability to just do the normal things they perhaps want to do often comes from that it comes from money it's like this in my opinion really like silly thing and so overall if you can get a hold of that you can build in that that choice and be able to do those things that you just want to do at least that's how it is for me But then, you know, the reason I test and track and teach business models is also because money is very untaught. If you look at like schools, colleges or universities, as we call them, there's not even like a basis of, of, okay, what is money? There's no education on that. And for a lot of people, when they begin their professional life, they often feel a little bit out of place. It might be because they're actually meant to maybe develop something of their own or maybe, you know, go along that journey differently. And so, but those aspects of entrepreneurship and just the basis of money is not taught very much in schools. It's more to set you up for a job, which is amazing for a lot of people. There's a lot of people who should not be like starting their own businesses. They would hate it. And they have a job they absolutely love, which is great. But then there's also these other people here who, who, their calling is to start their own thing, whatever that is, a content business, product business. And so really that's the, the impetus for why I started sharing as well. And I'm actually, when I'm, I'm actually starting my own podcast as well, which is going to be less tutorial focused and more between you know guests and getting their insights. And I do want to focus more on this topic as well, because you also have a lot of money traps in life with debt and you know credit cards and, and that side of thing. And if you understand how that works, you can use it to your benefit rather than it, you know, kind of diminishing what your what your final aim is, whatever that is for you. But really that's my view on it. It's more about choice than like what most 
people see it as, you know, the, the whole money thing. I think that's important. And then also money with meaning, like what you're doing right now. Wouldn't it be awesome to just interview people, learn from them, see, you know, just interesting people and what they do, and at the same time, give value to your viewers or listeners, and at the same time, earn money from that. That's like a really cool, like, ecosystem with meaning, you know, and a lot of people want that. So that's really my views on it and uh, the basis of why I do it. Yeah, Dan, I'm, I'm, it's lovely what you've said about money. And I, I think also we often come from a position of privilege. So we can say maybe we're meant to do something with our lives and maybe that's our calling. How do you, how do you pursue this kind of thinking if you don't come from a position of privilege? Well, I actually think, <laughs> just my opinion, but I think coming from a position of privilege is much more a disadvantage when it comes to this. Other than, of course, perhaps having more capital for a venture, it breeds entitlement a lot of times. And if you can't remove that, it's going to be really difficult. So, for example, if someone wants to start their own business, let's say, okay, let's say someone walks out of college or university into a great paying job, and then they just want to start their own business because they don't like office politics. Their idea of like tough is going to be much different to someone who's like lost everything and needs to support their family and is at absolute rock bottom. So they're going to go through a lot more of those hurdles, even if they have less capital and, and things like that, much more easily. They're going to push to be able to achieve that much more easily. So I think that's one side of it. And then in terms of Another part of this question I'm going to just like assume would kind of be if you're in a position of privilege, maybe you don't feel the need to change it and do something different. Then don't do it because you have to be like in most businesses, really, really driven to do it. Like there is no other choice. And that's kind of where you have to be to, to it's very competitive, most businesses and online, you have a global pool of competition. It's not just local. So it's really, if, you're not, if you don't have that urge to really do it and you have to do it, then maybe it isn't for you and that's totally fine. But that's just some thoughts on it. But Nicola, is that, you know, does that answer the question or were you looking for a different angle? No, no. I mean, the, the answer is the answer. The, I remember having a conversation once with a head of a business school and it was the conversation around how so much achievement in life comes from pain. So you either have mass ambition, which is what you're suggesting, or a massive amount of pain. So it's almost like we're avoiding something. So our mo motivation and momentum towards a better future is driven because we don't want that ever again. Or it's the pursuit of the gold medal. I want to win. And in the middle of like that distribution curve, you'll find like the mass market and the mass market is where huge amounts of business lie. You know, that's where businesses scale when they get into mass markets. But I suspect it's those two edges, which are the primary motivators for people. The, the ultimate desire to win, I must, I must get the gold medal. I was watching a runner yesterday on the Olympics and he was fuming that he didn't win. And the other guy just steamed past him in the 400 meters. I think it was the semifinal. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you know, there's people that are, like you suggested, so disadvantaged that they'll do anything to never go back there. And the danger of these large systems that we find ourselves in is we breed mediocrity. Nobody's actually driven enough. So it, it's almost that enough need is satiated that we won't take the risk. So I like your answer. So that's a good one. I'm keen to know why did you start? What got you going? <laughs> Because, I mean, by definition, you can't be in the middle ground. You've got to be one of the extremes. So was it really bad or really good? <laughs> I would say bad. It, it, it was bad for me. And it's actually, it's something I started writing on this because I had a lot of friends come to me in the past few years and just ask questions about just business ideas they had, perhaps moving online, starting their own thing. But more so, the key point was, I'm extremely unhappy. I don't know what path to take. 
I feel very lost. And it's almost like, you know, you get midlife crisis. This is like a quarter life crisis. And it happens after university, usually. It's because your whole life has been very structured. And if you're unfortunate enough to be that individual who actually needs to build their own thing and do it themselves, you have not been trained to do that. You've been given a structure your entire life through school, university, study, do well in the exams, etc. And then you dropped into this pool where you can just go work at this company and that might not be your calling, but none of your training has been around doing it yourself, the real world, how money works, how you know, unless you've studied it, how a business works. And so you end up in this area where you're very, all you're looking for is direction. That's where I was. All I wanted was direction. Like if someone could put me on the path, someone who knows me and my strengths, if they could put, I will do anything. If they can just put me on that path because I required the structure and I didn't have it. And so the next thing that kind of rolled out was I'm going to do my own thing. I'm in SA. The only way I can see how is to start online. And I moved online and went through multiple business models until I found the right thing. I worked for free for people because that's where I was. I didn't, I had nothing to lose. This is what I had to do. I remember I worked for free for, a, for someone for a year. Probably the best thing I ever did because I'm still, in fact, that's my closest business relationship to this day. But that's where you got to be. And it's because I wanted, I knew if I worked for uh, him for free, I could get a bit of structure. I could learn from him. What does he do? How, you know, that's what I was doing. So I just remember yearning for, for some type of path or direction or structure. If you come from, and I had a great upbringing, but if you come from a place of too much privilege or just feel very entitled, you're not going to go work for free. And if you don't do that, you're going to limit your opportunities. And so, but that's really where, where I was. I was just like, yeah, lost in a sense, willing to do it, <laughs> but just lost on what to that's do. That's really cool. Can I add to that? Dan, I remember, because we used to see each other in Cape Town a lot when we were both studying there, and you moved back to Joburg and I moved to Vietnam, and I remember you were always all about, you would get a car and then you would absolutely kit it up. You would spend money on it and you would make it like the coolest car and everybody was like, wow. <laughs> and that, you did that with everything. I mean, you built the decking outside your dad's house all by yourself, a little bit of help from me, um, <laughs> but... You basically sold your most prized possession, am I right? You sold that car that you built in order to start this business. Yeah, 100% right. So I, I sold the car for two reasons. One, I couldn't really go anywhere then. And two, I obviously needed the capital to start the business. So that's what I did. And that was easy. Like if that's hard for you, probably not a good idea, you know, <laughs> If the car, if it's more, if the car is more important, it's not a good idea because that was easy. Like I, like it was, it wasn't a hard thing. And you know how much I love that car. <laughs> so, but yeah, that's how I started, and I was privileged enough to have the car to sell. You know, so yes, that is how I started the my first e-commerce business. I was just going to ask. You answered part part of this question when you guys were talking earlier, but. Why did you choose to go online specifically, especially from South Africa? Because especially four years ago, five years ago, the online presence from South Africans is very, very small compared to the rest of the world. If you look at the USA or the UK, for example, there's so many online businesses. I mean, if you look at, you've got like Amazon FBA, it's predominantly, you know, in the States and it's slowly, you know, moving across the world. So yeah, I want to know from you, why did you, why did you choose to go online? when you were in South Africa? The primary reason, I tried offline. I tried offline and like, this is a pretty gnarly thing. So if someone is, I'm actually, well, I was vegan for like 18 months, but I'm vegetarian. But anyone who's like heavy on animal, you know, thing, they might want to mute this for a bit. But I <laughs> actually started an offline business at the very beginning, which was pretty gnarly. Like I would go to abattoirs and I would get the remains or the offcuts of cows predominantly. I won't go into the details of parts, but that's what, I mean, I remember I bought this van 
and I would go to the abattoirs, I'd call up all the abattoirs, try get the best cost, I'd drive to like these weird places where these abattoirs were and I would collect the uh, these offcuts and then what I would do is I my helper and I would actually prepare these meals and then we would do like a delivery service for people at like what we know as garages but gas stations petrol stations that's what we would do and we started this little business and so i would go every morning fetch her we would drive around do this whole thing and we did it for a good while it was it was cool but it just the problem with that one and businesses often have a a crux the problem with that was wastage so if we didn't sell the food then it would go to waste and that was a loss you know each time and so that was the problem in the end with the business model but I did try offline here and then I decided I really want to go online and the reason was number one a scale so as soon as you take your business online it's no longer just in that town or community or city or even country it's the entire world the second thing and this is actually a benefit if you live in a third world or a lower a weaker currency country is you can now earn in the stronger currencies you can earn dollars pounds etc which is insane like it's really good and people pay very well overseas so that was another big reason and then thirdly is i enjoy working alone i did i've studied at a university and i studied correspondence during my studying years and i loved correspondence working alone and online so that was the the next reason but primarily scale and just building uh, building out from there hmm. i mean i sort of want to build on what you're saying there dan but and then also pose a question is that this whole shift now to this sort of hybrid work model where everyone's working from home creates lots of opportunities for people to work online and one has to wonder if it's not a personality you know, to be able to work alone and effectively in this kind of environment requires certain sort of characteristics and personality traits, which are radically different to the communities that you've referenced around structure and home and education, etc. So that whole structure that you said we went through is very communal for the largest part. So I wanted to sort of turn that into a question to say, you went from working with someone and going to abattoirs and a feed, feeding scheme to finding something digital. So what was the, what was sort of the nugget? What was the bit that you said, hang on a minute, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do this. What was your tipping point? It's diff- It's a good question. It's a difficult thing to put my finger on, but I was just researching different ways that I could build my own business. So after that happened, I began looking into, you know, like just general research and finding how people are building businesses and earning money from anywhere in the world. And through that, I began actually testing those business models. But it was just prime for me, it wasn't very difficult on the shift from community to working online it wasn't too difficult because i had studied online so and i'm good at working alone where some people kind of want need that environment and team so that was a pretty easy transition for me the other thing is the other thing that can happen it's not everyone but perhaps you you know things can be unstable in sa so perhaps you want to be able to move country well, what kind of business would you want? And so being online, it gives you that flexibility too. So that also came into my equation is what type of business do I really want to build? And also the other, I would say, big thing is that your capital requirements with online business models are much lower. You don't have to go set up an office, hire a team, do a lot of travel. There are some low capital offline models, but generally online, depending on which you choose, like content businesses, they're like free almost to begin. And then you can work it from there. So it's more based on you and and your efforts. And that's why I think it is a really good one to to begin with online because it's low risk as well. (laughs) So Nick, you've had a couple of goes at online. Why don't you tell us what... (laughs) I have. I've actually, I've actually tried a few. I've just started a YouTube channel and uploaded my first video. So we'll see how that goes. I've tried uh, basically being a social, not a social media marketer, a digital marketer. I've tried Amazon FBA. 
I've tried investing, but I think that I just lacked the discipline to be consistent. And it's a lesson I've learned. And as I get older, it becomes easier for me, I find. I'm less distracted by the things that used to distract me. So this is why I started the podcast with you. This is the exact reason because, you know, it's time, I feel that it's time for me to to do that. (laughs) Dan, you were talking about your business model briefly earlier. You've been through a good few business models, seen a lot online. Can you break down briefly some of the business models you've tested and maybe your opinion on each one? Yes, for sure. This is really interesting. And I'm not going to, I'm going to tell you like everything, you know, because I want people to also be aware of some like business models, which are, you know, and I can like give you rules on it. So, you know, okay, if this is the goal of this, just don't even just like, just get away from it. So (laughs) the first thing I started was actually, and and I also want to say this, when I began, I was a technophobe. I was a guy who didn't know how to use email. That's who I was. And I think that's really important for people to know genuinely because they think, oh, you got to have like all these skills and be really good. You do not. Like you can be absolutely terrible with tech and run a successful business if you want it bad enough. But I actually started building WordPress websites, which is a pretty complex one. And so what I would do, it's funny because of what I primarily do now, but I would build WordPress websites with content about products. So it would be usually Amazon products, products on Amazon. And I would build a website about that product. So it could be about advent calendars at Christmas. <laughs> and like, this is what all the content would be about. I'm, and so I would be the website for like the Star Wars advent calendar. Like if you wanted to know absolutely anything about the Star Wars advent calendar, you come to my site and I've got it. Like I've got pages and pages on this thing. And then even the URL would be like starwarsadventcalendar.com. You know, it was like, it was all about the product. When Christmas comes, people search for it. And often they will search Google, not on Amazon. They'll find my site and they might search something like where to buy Star Wars Advent Calendar. Well, I have a blog with that exact title, <laughs> like this entire thing about that. So they land on my site. And then from there, I obviously have a clickable link where they go and buy it on Amazon. But that link tracks me. So Amazon gives me a little referral if they purchase. And there's a, something called a cookie, which means anything else they purchase on Amazon within a time frame is also going to earn me referrals because I sent them to Amazon. And so this is affiliate marketing with a, a written content business. And so that's what I began doing. And I built... I cannot tell you how many websites doing this. And I learned a ton about SEO, like search engine optimization, how to make things rank in Google, which I still value heavily today. But that business ended up failing or I just ended up saying, nah, this is not worth it because the referral commissions were so small. It was like, you know, 4%. And then some of the websites, you know, they don't rank well enough. So you've done all that work and like no one's finding it. So... I ended up terminating that. However, that was the first business model I did. And that got me thinking, why don't I sell the end product? Instead of promoting theirs, why can't I sell the end product? The margins will be much bigger. So that got me thinking on that. And then at the same time, because I was doing a lot of copywriting and SEO, I started offering that service as well on Upwork and Fiverr. So I was offering my services as a freelancer for other businesses. And that's a great way to make income, by the way. They'll pay a lot of money for like a thousand word article. And if you have, you know, decent writing skills and SEO skills, which you can learn, you can make, you can make a great income online. The longer you work, the higher your reviews and stuff go on those platforms and the more and more you can charge per hour. So that was excellent. However, that obviously is quite a time intensive one, but it's great. Like you can write about really interesting things. I remember writing about like just the strangest things and it was really interesting. And <laughs> yeah, it was really interesting. Some of them were awesome. Don't. If you like writing, you can... Uh, don't, 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 don't. <laughs> it, uh, 
But yeah, keep it clean, Dan. Keep it clean. Yeah, keep it clean. <laughs> yeah. So that was the first, the first kind of thing I, that I did, and then I found so just before this, I'm not, I can't remember exactly if it was before that or after that. But there was a stint where I found this thing, which was like uh, a way to make make money online, but it wasn't like really clear. It wasn't like extremely clear. But there were all these testimonials and and everything about this thing. And it was, they were going to train you on all these strategies, on marketing online, on, you know, building content, on selling, on sales. Like they're going to train you on all of this and you're going to end up making a lot of money. And so I actually tried this thing out. I was very skeptical. I didn't pay for the whole thing. And I just looked into it and I did get a lot of value from these trainings, this marketing and sales and, and so on. However, in the end, what I learned is the entire point of this thing was to sell this thing. That was it. So you get people in and you earn commissions of bringing them in. And then those people are trained on sales and marketing. And then they are told you can use the sales and marketing to promote our product and get more people in. And then they earn commissions off them. And the people who brought you are earning off that commission too. So it creates this pyramid. Yeah, so this is MLM, multi-level marketing. And what I would say with it is if you look at the business model in itself, it cannot work for the people at the bottom. This is why there were huge problems with Herbalife because the people at the very bottom can't make that much money. And the people at the very top who brought in like the first ones and are earning off like everyone else who they've brought and the people they've brought, those people get unbelievably wealthy. So obviously at that point, I just terminated that and moved on. But the key I want to tell people here is if the point of the thing is to sell the thing, that is not good. That is not something you want to be involved with. So that was a good a good thing to learn early and before like investing in the whole thing. And, you know, because there's usually quite a high ticket on those. And then at that point, from building the WordPress sites about the products, I said, why can't I build the end product? And that is when I started proper e-commerce. And what I loved about it was it was really simple. It's buy for one sell for two. But in this case, it was buy for one, sell for three, because you have to factor in this automation piece, which costs you a bit. Buy for one, sell for three. It was really simple. And at that point, I really wanted that. I didn't want this complex, like I just wanted simple. And that's when I started Amazon FBA, being the end seller. So I'm developing the product. I'm first of all doing product research on the platform and seeing where is the opportunity, which products sell well, but customers want it in a different form or with this variation or built out differently or you know if it's a gift product well could i you know sometimes you'll see products there which are often bought as gifts but they don't even have like nice gift packaging and that experience hasn't been built out and if you do that you're going to plug that demand with your supply and so i develop products in china primarily with manufacturers ship them to Amazon. They'll be in the warehouse there. I don't have to be there. I don't even have to be in that country. And then Amazon, when a customer buys my product from my listing on Amazon, Amazon deals with fulfilling that and sending it to the customer and then sales accrue in that account. So I'm doing absolutely no fulfillment with the customers themselves and I can be anywhere, but it's a physical product business, a simple business. And so and that's what I loved. That's what I ended up being like, this is what I'm going to really focus on. I lo truly love it. Like it's a, I remember, and it's obviously worn down, like I've gotten more used to it. But I remember in the very beginning, I absolutely loved it. It was like its own little ecosystem because there was these tools where you can see like how much things are selling. Like, you know, and I think that's important with whatever you choose is you got to feel that you got to feel that excitement and that like not blind excitement because that can get you in trouble with like the former models I mentioned, but a genuine excitement and understanding of the business model. Business is very hard. There's no like silver bullet. And again, like if, if you come too much from a place of entitlement or, or privilege, it's going to be really hard. And when that happens, you know, you've got to be able to push through it. So you've got to kind of feel that energy around it, want it really badly and then push through and learn. And if you fail with it, take on that failing and, and move forward. And lastly then, is I started YouTube, which in which I started sharing all of this stuff and what works, what doesn't work. I make a point of also showing what doesn't work. I think that's very important as well. 
And people love that as well, like the mistakes. And so, yeah, it's just about sharing because remember in the beginning, I wanted that direction so badly. Well, now I've learned some stuff. Maybe I can help some people who are interested in the same kind of thing. And YouTube has been absolutely awesome. I have a really, really cool audience there and it's uh, genuinely a privilege to be able to do it. It's awesome. Cool. So Dan, just listening to your, your thinking around Amazon, my take on this is that it's somewhere between the idea and customer centricity. So you've got to, you've first got to be able to come up with an idea. It's like, what is the product? What are you going to sell? Because there's a lot for sale on Amazon. You can just about buy everything, the kitchen sink and the herd of elephants. It's what they, you know, it's the Harrods of the 21st century. But you've got to kind of have an insight into what people will want to buy. So you, you mentioned that whole thing around customer experience. So, you know, you can have a box of chocolates and then you can have the box of chocolates. So what Amazon does is fulfill pretty much everything in between. So my sense of your your talent or a, a skill in this area is the ability to come up with the idea, which interestingly is on the World Economic Forum Future Skills for 2025. And the top 10, five of the top 10 skills are around cognitive thinking and learning. So that means, and the top one is, I think, analytical thinking and innovation. And the fifth one, I think, is creative thinking. So my sense is that there's a couple of things at play here. The one is your, your character. You can work on your own. This, in terms of sort of the elements of success. So one is the character. And Nick, you mentioned it's hard to stay, you know, it's to, to go the course, that sort of commitment and discipline and some to, to some extent repetition. But that ability to sort of pay attention at the exclusion of others, which is, I think, a talent, focus. The other thing is, is having to balance the paradox between customer insight and product idea. Because the bit in between is the fulfillment, which is what you Amazon is doing fundamentally. You're doing the SEO and the marketing, but it's like, what do you want over here? And how do I find something that fulfills that need over there? So putting those two ingredients together is sort of balancing this sort of paradoxical, these two paradoxical worlds. But then my sense is there's a third, a third skill at play. So one is character, one is sort of paradox. And I think, I want to say the third skill is, I'm going to use the word pursuit. And you've mentioned a couple of times that you were unhappy, you, you mentioned that you were unhappy. So at some level, you're pursuing something. And I think, I, I, I stand to be corrected, what I think I'm hearing is the pursuit of freedom. And what money does, your success, and we've forgotten to mention that we're talking to a very young, very successful millionaire. <laughs> so the pursuit of money, not for money's sake, which is what I'm sensing, but for, the, for what money enables you to do, snowboarding for three weeks in Austria. So if we, if we jump from that into the, the finance side, the money side, and I'm less interested in the freedom bit, but I think, Nick, you mentioned investing. So getting on the investing bandwagon at an early age, yes, we've all been taught it. No, we don't all do it. But it sounds to me like you've got some kind of discipline. Talk to us about that, young Dan, while you're still young. Well, well <laughs> you are. And I'm not that young, uh, but thank you, Nicola. <laughs> really kind words. So... The investing thing is super important though. And uh, I don't think we taught that enough. Like that's like part of why I really try and share. And I do share those strategies as well. But investing is so critical and it is the absolute most powerful way to generate wealth. So whether it's that you want money or freedom, but it also changes your mindset on things because it removes temptation. So if you put money away each month, that temptation to spend that on like just stuff, it, it's gone because the money's gone. So that's very important for a lot of people. 
But if you look at the most successful people in the world, people talk about Warren Buffett, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk. So for example, Warren Buffett is worth 104 billion US dollars. <laughs> and people think he has 104 billion in his bank account, but he doesn't. It's all in investments. He has 1 billion in cash. That's less than 1% is in cash. And the same if you look at uh, even Elon Musk, 150 billion, and he's got 4 billion in cash. So the way that people, the richest people in the world, generally make money, again, whether you want that for money's sake or a pretentious sake or freedom's sake, whatever it is for you, the way they do that is with investing. They're either starting a company and the stock value goes up and that's where their value accrues, or you don't even have to start the company, but you can invest in it you know, from outside and do the exact same thing. So uh, it's really critical that people don't think like these guys worked and their hourly rate is what got them there. It's, <laughs> it's more compound interest at work. And Albert Einstein actually said, I have a quote here, compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. He who understands it earns it. He who doesn't pays it. And I think that's very telling, you know, from Albert Einstein and then so I worked this out and it's not 100%. Things, are, things happen. It never goes perfectly to plan. But look at it this way. If you can earn a 30% return a year, and in my opinion, it is possible to do that. When you're younger, you can take more risks. Some years you might do 5%, but another year you might do 60%. I do value investing and I know that it's possible to do that. But let's say you get, can achieve around a 30% return. And remember, you could invest more and then you need less of a return. But provided that's the case, if from 23 years old, you are able to invest, say, $500 a month, from 25, 1,000 a month, 27, 1,500 a month, and from 30 years old, 1,700 a month, you're a, a dollar millionaire before 35 if you're able to do that and achieve that return per year because of compound interest. And so obviously that's not the easiest thing in the world to do, but no matter what you do up to that point, short of really becoming an absolute star and, you know, or you're a professional athlete or actor or act actress, like short of those types of things, your hourly rate's never going to get you there. doesn't matter really what you're doing. So I think that breaks it down in, in simpler terms. That is a good return. You know what? Half the return. And, and then you're, you, you're sitting on $500,000 at 34 from, you know, these incremental investments. Yes, they big invest. You know, it's a, it's a significant chunk. But if you work hard, I think it's doable. And again, you're removing a lot of temptation because you're putting that money away. It's not there to buy, you know, stuff all the time. So that's just an example. But yeah, the, the more I think on it, that's a, a very important piece, no matter what you do, content business, product business, service business, consulting business, you, that should be something you're doing. And it doesn't matter what you choose. You might love cryptocurrencies and that's your thing. Cool. You might love stocks. You might love real estate. Mm. There's a whole lot of options, but you should have a piece of this that you're doing at your regular interval, whatever that might be. Awesome. Yeah. And then Dan, could you just touch on the strategies that you use to invest? Yeah. Uh, just briefly with stocks, primarily the US stock market, I do value investing. So I don't invest in things like the S&P 500, like this basket. Not that that's a bad strategy, but what I prefer is I look at a company What's its actual underlying value? And you can use things like discounted cash flows to work this out in terms of, okay, if this company were to produce this cash flow over the next 10 years, and then you can discount back to today's value and actually work out the, it's more difficult to explain in this uh, setting, but you can work out the company's intrinsic value. And now you have what some people call the sticker price. And what you do is you take that, so it's like it's intrinsic value, and you cut it in half. And that's for errors you might have made. 
So you know the intrinsic value is, let's say, $100 for a share, but you cut it in half, $50 a share. And that's called your margin of safety. And that's the price only at which you buy the stock. So you start with a list of companies you love. It might be Amazon, could be Alibaba, could be Micron Technology with semiconductor chips if you're into that. It could be NVIDIA if you like gaming. Whatever it is your thing is, try stay where you know a company is really good. And you, you research these companies in multiple facets, even down to management. How long has the CEO been there? Are they always chopping and changing? Etc. But you're looking for long plays. If you can't invest in it for 10 years, don't invest in it, as Warren Buffett would say. I'm just quoting Warren Buffett this whole time. But that's the key. And then on these sets of companies, you wait until you hit your margin of safety. Often it's because of bad news. So I'll give you an example. I was on a train going to France to snowboard with my brother, and the entire pandemic came up. And the stock market just went down. All these companies I'd been tracking, I know their intrinsic value, but they all plummeted in, in terms of price. And it's very important. Price does not mean value. The price does not indicate what it's worth. The price is very emotionally driven. And it's what people are just willing to pay for it at that time. But it's not about the actual value. And so when that happened, I hit all my MOS. Like, all the margin of safety was was being hit, and that's when I'm buying. So again, to quote Warren Buffett, when there's blood in the streets, that's when you're buying. And those did really, really well, because after that, the companies didn't perform really badly. Like a company like Amazon did better, but it's just the sentiment. So you're waiting for a almost unwarranted drop in the value. And that's your buying point of a company you truly believe in. Buy it at a good, buy for one, sell for two. It's uh, just getting it at, at a very good price, and but you're investing for the longer term. So that's a strategy there with individual companies, which is the difference to what people often say, diversifying helps you and de-risks you. I don't know if I, actually, I don't agree with that because if I buy the S&P 500, I am exposed to everything, no matter what. Whereas if I'm choosing companies, like for example, now, what I'm also looking at is certain companies, let's take Disney, for example, and none of this is financial advice, but it's just an example. Disney, your Disney World, Disneyland, all of those have been closed during this time, but they're extremely valuable. You've also got Disney Plus in the online environment. So it's just an example of Okay, what happens when things, if things go back to normal and all of that opens? Where, where is the stock price of Disney versus its actual value? And so you're looking almost at macro trends as well. And I love it. I, I, I have a lot of fun with it. You don't always get it 100% right, but there's a lot of, uh, it's very conservative. There's a lot of safety nets built in and you're literally going for half of your uh, real value calculation. So that's the one. And then the second one I'll briefly touch on is, is, of course, crypto, which again, I do with a value investing mindset. So entry is important to me. I don't particularly just buy all the time, like some people dollar cost average, meaning they don't care what the price is, they're just always buying. I kind of lump some more when I think is a, a decent time. So, uh, But that's something I really believe in as well, because it's changed the entire investing ecosystem. As we have alluded to here, investing early is important, but in the traditional stock market, sometimes that early investment like IPOs are reserved for a specific few. So you can't actually invest as early as them. It's only that group. Whereas things like cryptocurrency have brought ICOs, uh, initial coin offerings, where anyone in the world, regardless of your class or, you know, wealth can invest in it. And so it's changing that ecosystem as well, where it's more distributed and less controlled, which fundamentally I believe in as well. So I'm a fundamentalist with it, really. You do have to do your due diligence because it's a newer industry. So be careful. But I personally love it. And those are the two Awesome, Dan. Very interesting. In fact, if you want to find out more about Amazon FBA or value investing, you should really check out Dan's channel as he has a lot of content on there, a lot of great content. And it's uh, Dan Rogers on YouTube. 
And then uh, Dan, just one more question from me. I just want to know what were the toughest and most rewarding things in terms of your online business journey? Sure. So I'd say toughest was definitely the in, like learning of different business models, failing with them, accepting that, moving on. That was really at some points difficult. Actually with Amazon, I had a really difficult verification process. They verify you so you can actually sell. And that was really hard in the beginning because at the time I was in South Africa and obviously they are less used to that, like sellers signing up from uh, further flung places. So it was a very difficult process. I remember it clearly, uh, which is why I mention it here. And then the other hardest things was definitely losing listings that had hundreds of reviews on them due to like copyright or trademark kind of lawsuits. It didn't, we didn't ever go to court with those, but problems in that area was definitely, and sometimes I felt kind of like ungrounded claims, but we did manage to work through it, but losing those also very difficult. In terms of rewarding, definitely passing $30,000 in sales a month with FBA was a big milestone. Uh, I remember that clearly. And then I would have to though, I would have to give it to my YouTube audience though. I love what I do there. And it's just consistently rewarding, you know? Sometimes as a business person, you might think, actually often always thinking you don't know enough. There's like, you gotta learn this, you gotta start doing this. But what you can forget is the value of maybe what you already know and how that can help someone. So that's uh, hugely rewarding. Nicola, would you like to touch on that? Cool, no, I think, I mean, I'm loving what you're saying, Dan, the discipline around investing, you know, and I'm sure a lot of people, and hopefully a lot of people will listen to this podcast, but also if you're young, don't be afraid of it. And I like that. I love what you said about removing temptation. I've just spent about, well, weeks, it feels like years, but weeks, sifting through sort of 30 years of memorabilia, stuff that I've sort of boxes, I've carted around the world. They've been in my parents' loft. They've been in a storeroom. They've been in a cupboard. They've been in a garage. And they ended up in town with me at the moment and I said this is it I have to sort it out but that's all stuff that's the accumulation of stuff and memories and what stuff does it sort of slows you down it puts your life you were sailing it puts your lines in the water it can stabilize you but actually what I'm hearing is there's a, an element of success and freedom that gives you the opportunity to experience life and to choose and part of that is the, the removal of temptation helps provoke and promote the achievement of freedom. The removal of temptation promotes the achievement of freedom, is what I'm hearing. And uh, Sark is a, a, a famous poet, I think from, I think San Francisco or Los Angeles, and wrote a book once called The Creative Companion. And in that book, it had a poem, How to Be Truly Alive. And one of the lines in that poem said, do what you love and the money will follow. And what I've heard Dan say is buy stocks that you love, you know, be passionate about the product that you sell on Amazon. And I think when that much energy goes behind something, the ridiculousness of entrepreneurship suddenly becomes the reality. Because when you look statistically at running your own business, you're like, nah. That's not a value investment. <laughs> but when you put enough energy behind your idea and you're passionate about it, it somehow it, it manifests in all sorts of different and special ways. So, I, you know, listening to Dan, I, I, I kept thinking of Sark, do what you love and the money will follow. You know, if you love crypto, the money probably will follow. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a really good point. And also what I would add to it is that you want to, something I've tried to do is optimize every area when I'm trying to do something. So when we started YouTube, my first videos are terrible, cringe, but, <laughs> but over time we developed it more and more to the point where, so what I try to eventually do was make every part best. So if I can make the audio really good, someone might pick that up and stay for that or subscribe for that. If I can make the background cool, someone might just subscribe just for that. If I can speak clearly and remove, and I also speak quite slowly, 
which a lot of second language English speakers really love. And then some first language hate, but they can always speed it up. You can't slow it down. So there were all these things we were trying to optimize, like do so much keyword research. You've got like 10 thumbnails, you know, that you're choosing from because you, you really want the click, you know, not clickbait, you know, but <laughs> you, you're optimizing every single area. And when you do that, you're giving it a much better chance of, of succeeding as well. So I think if you love what you're doing, you're going to naturally optimize all those areas because you love it. The the only thing I would say is just to to not take it uh, what Nicola's saying in in a different way, which would be like so. Let me give you an example. I used to love doing art, but there's very little chance that I'm going to be you know a a world renowned artist. So you've got to take it with a pinch of salt. Don't give up everything to do that. I understand the passion and it's a romanticism about that. But also, if you can start an effective business on more concrete grounds, that could give you the freedom to do art all day. And so you've got to kind of also think of that way. Like, I would love to make movies one day. And so that's one of the things. And it wouldn't maybe documentaries or something really cool like that. And that's because I love video. I love it. So that's where I want to move to. But it doesn't mean I'm dropping everything to just go, you know, be an assistant director. I can build in freedoms and and build up my way of doing that over time. So it kind of comes full circle to when we started with choice and and giving yourself choices with whatever it is you really want to do. But certainly you want to have something you're passionate about and love. Kind of like what I was saying when I first started FBA was, yeah, like this love of it in terms of it being this own little ecosystem. It's like software tools which can look at this metric and that. It's like amazing. Like how can you see that stuff? So you've got to have that feeling whatever type of business you're doing, whether it's content-focused, product-focused, consulting and then optimize all those areas and you will make something that works. Awesome. Well, I know from my experience, just starting the YouTube channel up, I'm starting to learn all these things with the thumbnails and the keywords and, you know, all these things to try and get it going. Dan, if people want to reach you, where can they look? Where can the viewers or listeners look? I think YouTube is the easiest, just Dan Rogers. Rogers has a D, so R-O-D-G-E-R-S, but just Dan Rogers on YouTube. We also started a little Instagram profile, which is at official Dan Rogers, and we can drop some links below the video if people do want to come follow over there. But yeah, that's the simplest, it's just YouTube Dan Rogers. Well, as always, such a pleasure talking to you, Dan. I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show, the first person. (laughs) <laughs> You're a very impressive first guest, and you've definitely made a very, very strong impact on my life. Besides Nicola, you are the first person I go to when I need advice with regards to business, and you are the first to make your mark on Thinker Nick. So as always, I'm your host, Nick Daniels. I'm here with Nicola Tyler, and this is Dan Rogers. Until next time, stay safe, take care, and cheers. For more news and content about Thinker Nick, go to www.thinkernick.com or visit our Facebook or Instagram pages at Thinkernick.